when I was 17, just before I finished school, I was attacked. I got stabbed into the kidney and um, dark times for me, you know, brought up a lot of mental blockages and a lot of fear. And um, so the story went on in, in terms of I finished school, I got a full-time job, try to work as much as I can, save up some money to get to Europe, you know, for my school is present. When I got back from um, from Europe, my parents got me a Kelpie. His name was Rocky. Yeah. He was an amazing, man. A, a red Kelpie and I love that dog so much. Mm. You know, the first time I got to meet him, it was it was really special. He jumped on me, looked at me with this real in, intent. It was almost like I've known him before. Mm. It was really special. Like he was waiting for you. It was interesting. Yeah. Man. I think my parents were saying my name a lot when I was there and giving my T-shirts and stuff. I think that the scent and, oh, look, Panos is here, Panos, Panos. And I think that could have contributed to that but yeah. i think there was something a little bit more deeper welcome to life with your dog podcast our focus is educating dog owners enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train manage live and thrive with our dogs to teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now i'm your host panos anagnostu and i'm your co-host luke badman Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. Cool Welcome, stuff. Panos. Welcome, Luke. Welcome to the first episode of Life With Your Dog podcast. How good is that? Yeah, man. Very exciting. Uh, so, what are we going to do in this first episode? What's our What's our agenda? Well, we want to introduce what we're going to be, the content that we're going to be putting out to the people. Mm-hmm. We want to introduce our stories, and we want to talk about, you know, why do we love dogs? How are dogs going to be affecting our lives in within all the things that we're going to be talking about? Yeah. And, you know, what are our goals? And we've got a few other things that we want to yeah, man. bring to the table yeah. too. Yeah. So, this is our first episode, like I said. Uh, let's get into it. So, awesome. let's start with uh, the story of Panos and Nuchas Pooches. Now, for those that don't know how we met, um, you originally trained um, my family's uh, rescue dog, little rescue dog, Chloe, uh, and you were amazing- with her and so you know i was already hosting um, a podcast with my mum, um, our human condition our human condition and we invited you on that and that was a great episode and then from that you said to me hey i've been thinking about doing my own podcast and um you know wanted some help with the technical side of things and i thought you know why don't we just do it together man so perfect that's brought us to to this today I think it's really good to want to add is that because we haven't had a massive history before this yeah. throughout how the podcast is going to go. Yeah. We're going to get to know each other more and yeah. through that's going to bring up more conversation and I think it's going to create a real good organic way of understanding ourselves and our and the influence of how dogs have affected us and yeah. and because of that it's going to create that a, a great dynamic so I'm really excited. Me too man. Should be good. good stuff. Should be good. So let's start with your story, Bella. This is uh, this is you know life with your dog. I'm not the dog expert, although I would like to learn a lot more, and that's part of the reason why I want to do this with you. I love dogs from an amateur's dog lover's perspective, but um, yeah, I don't have that uh, education around dogs like you do. So I'm really hoping to learn a lot from you by doing this podcast and, and absorbing that knowledge from you and and what you've done over the last decade or so. Um, so let's let's start with how you got into the industry and and you know what brought you to where you are today. Yeah, beautiful man. So basically, you know, the story goes that when I was seventeen, just before I finished school, I was attacked. I got stabbed into the kidney, and um, dark times for me. You know, brought up a lot of mental blockages and a lot of fear. And um, 
So the story went on in, in terms of I finished school, I got a full-time job, try to work as much as I can, save up some money to get to Europe, you know, for my school is present. When I got back from um, from Europe, my parents got me a Kelpie. His name was Rocky. Yeah. He was amazing, man. A, a red Kelpie and I love that dog so much. Mm. You know, the first time I got to meet him, it was it was really special. He jumped on me, looked at me with this real in, intent. It was almost like I've known him before. Mm. It was really special. Like he was waiting for you. It was interesting. Yeah. Man. I think my parents were saying my name a lot when I was there and giving my T-shirts and stuff. I think that the scent and, oh, look, Panos is here, Panos, Panos. And I think that could have contributed to that. But yeah. I think there was something a little bit more deeper from it. And um, how long did they have him before you came back? Probably like three weeks or something. Okay. Yeah, not even, maybe right. two weeks. So, it was very In fresh. the family house. So, they, he's picking up your sand and that kind of thing. That's and, right. And anticipating first- you to come back. Exactly. Yeah. Our first family dog. So, we haven't had a dog before. We've had a cat my whole life. So, I started walking him and hanging out with him and, you know, getting to learn it. I, at first, it was it was very surreal, you know, because I didn't know what to expect. And I think that was the best thing about it is that I went into it with no expectation and also coming back from a, a long trip. It really, um, I had my own experiences meeting new people. We did a 45 day Kentucky tour. You can imagine just coming out of school and going through some of that trauma. Yeah. And then being in a new place with a whole bunch of new people. I did go on the holiday with a good friend of mine, which was good as well. But you know, you get to learn a lot about yourself in these Mm. situations. And then coming back home and then having this dog there was, yeah, it was really cool, man. It was a really special time in my life. So, um, you know, just getting into the routine of walking every day and I wasn't doing training. But, of course, throughout all that, I think naturally I was obviously yeah, teaching him stuff. You were, but you probably didn't realize it at the time. You know? Exactly. Yeah. It was interesting. I was um, walking up the street and he was really cool. He was with me and he was following what I wanted him to do. Let's be honest, Kelpies are pretty smart dogs as well, mm. so you're pretty consistent. Cattle dogs, right? Yeah, well, yeah. well, cattle dogs, Kelpies, Border Collies, you know, that working sort of dog. Yeah, they, working dog. That's what I meant. That's yeah, right. They, yeah. they want to work with us. Yeah. So. They have the drive. Yes. Mm. Big drive. Um, and because they were developed over time to be following humans and to work for us, um, they've got that natural ability to follow command. Um, so yeah, so a random lady on the street with her dog walked past. She's, Oh, you should be a dog trainer. And I didn't even think that job existed. <laughs> you know, I was like, Oh, thanks. Whatever. And we kept them walking. <laughs> and, um, thanks random lady on the street. Yeah. yeah was, what do you know? <laughs> what do you know? Come on. Seriously. Yeah. Um, so I was studying building at the time and I worked at Ramick Race Course as a groundsman. And um, so, yes, yeah, so life went on. We had Rocky and he got to about a year and a half old. Um, unfortunately, he was diagnosed with leukemia. Fuck. And, um, That's heavy, man. After, yeah. What, a year and a half? No, and it, was, it was really upsetting. You know, I was probably more upset and depressed while when he, would, he was diagnosed. We mm. only had, had about three weeks to live or something, which was so random from being fully healthy, like seemed fully healthy to being really sick was really, really quickly. And yeah, and I was I was legit upset, you know. <laughs> it was really bad actually in that time, just as he was um Do you think that was more upsetting than your incident than I your think stabbing? So. Yeah. I, I felt more upset, yeah. Me, you know. And um and at that time I had pulled a hernia in my groin. So I was on light duties at work, so I couldn't really do much. I was in the tractor, you know, smoothing out the sand. This is at Randwick? At Randwick yeah, yeah, Race yeah. yeah. And um all I had to do was just think about him and it was it was really upsetting. We had such a cool connection that my mates come from their houses to my place, get Rocky and take him to Coogee, go for walks. He really influenced a lot of mm. us, you know, and I think we all collectively went through, you know, that sort of trauma together. Yeah. And then the dog allowed us to kind of connect in a different way, which is really cool. Mm. And um, so basically Rocky was really, really sick and we decided to um, put him down. Yeah. 
And then two days later, I had hernia operation. So then I was off work, no dog around. You just put everything back upside down again. I really realized how much it was influencing me and, and actually helping me. Yeah. Um, I guess all the themes that we're going to cover throughout our podcast in terms of, you know, what dogs do to us actually. Yeah. But, um, Yes, it was a pretty, you know, upsetting time in, in that time, especially because I couldn't go back into normal activities as well. So all, all I could do was think about it. Um, and a month later, I got, I just need a dog. So I went to Sydney Dogs and Cats home in Carlton and I, um, I seen Ace. He was a little black helpie. He was about eight weeks old and he's just, ah, he was looking at me. I'm like, I need him. Yeah. Um, there was another three different puppies there with him, but, um, so, um, Ace. He was, was a puppy at the time. Yeah. And, um, his name was originally Ajax. But I'm like, no, we're calling him Ace because he's a little Acer. And, um, and he's black like the Ace. That's right. Yeah. 100%. He was mm. a really cool dog. He was really, really smart. Um, and yeah, so basically time went on. I started to see how much I loved work, being with my dog and being with animals. And I was speaking with friends at work while I worked at, at the race course. And I'm like, I just want to work with animals. Yeah. You know, let's do it. So, and they were really encouraging of me. I spoke with my parents. They were really supportive of me. And they're like, just do what you got to do. Yeah which was really cool. So that was when the penny dropped. I'm like, let's do it. So I basically stopped work. I quit my job. I quit TAFE um, studying building and I started work um, doing animal studies at TAFE. And um, and while I was doing that, I was volunteering um, at Sydney Dogs and Cats Home. So I was just walking the dogs and helping out where I could. Mm. And after a couple of weeks, I was offered a job. Yeah. I'm like, hey, come work. But you never went into that situation thinking I'm going to become a dog trainer or I'm going to get a job here. You were just kind of very organic going with the flow yeah 100 percent. you know and throughout all of this um experience it was my own personal development happening through that you know working with my intuition and you know trusting your gut instinct you know as well rather than using the headspace so much Mm. and um my original idea and plan was to get do captive animals and then work in the zoo or something right like lions and lions tigers and bears right (laughs) all the exotics but you know the opportunity of having that i found was really hard and I just thought, well, you know, we've got the dogs here. Dogs are in our life. They're animals and they're affecting us. And they actually, we have more hands on with, um, with the experience with the animals or with our dogs. So I just thought, I'm just going to stick out here and see what happens. And then, yeah, um, the manager there, Tiffany, um, we still remain really good friends. And she goes, Hey, look, you know, I like your style and let's, um, you know, we need someone on the Sunday. So then from the Sunday became one day, two days, three days. And I was there full time. So yeah. I was, um, I was doing that and then I ended what up What a journey, doing- man. And then like, think about it. That never would have happened. First of all, obviously you had your incident with stabbing. Very unfortunate. Then you got Rocky. Um, then he got sick, unfortunately. But then if he hadn't gotten sick and then you hadn't gone to that um, pound to, mm-hmm. to meet Ace, you never would have had a job exactly there. And then it's just like a domino effect, right? And that's where you are today, 10 years later. For sure. You know, it's yeah. like the lotus flower. You know, they, I think the lotus flower is very um, prominent in, in Eastern traditions mm. for, from the story of, you know, like in the black muddy waters, this plant grows. And through. it only grows in the mud as well. Exactly. It only, it's not um, in spite of the mud, it's because of the mud, which is a, is an important distinction, I think. Hundred percent. So, yeah. and and that's you know that as a reflection of us is that we can truly grow when we're in these dark times. Mm. If you're paying attention and if you have a good support system around you, and if you're allowing your your heart space and your and your intuition, that gut feeling to come through, rather than using that intellect too much. Because if we're too rational, mm. then we become too limited by what we think through our belief systems. Too and much fear. up here and not enough. 
That's right, 100%. Mm. So having that trust, and of course, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do it if I lived at home and I had to pay rent because I was at home and I had that support system. I could then volunteer my time and then work, you know, working at the shelter isn't a very high-paying job, but at least, you know, it was was filling the heart space, right? Yeah. And and I didn't really have any clear intentions at the time. I was just kind of just going with it. And I started um, studying at National Dog Trainers Federation, which is – you know, a, a certificate three in dog behavior and training. Mm. And we were learning all the fundamentals of dog behavior and understanding how to apply training and psychology and animal behavior and merging it all together. So it was an eight month course. I did a lot of a correspondence at, cause they set up in Melbourne. So right. we did a lot of it um, in the house or in homes. Oh, sorry. Mm. And then from there, we did two eight day blocks down at Dural, which um, pet resort Australia. So you were doing that, um, the correspondence training working on ACE. Well, um, a lot of it was like theory based, right? But at the end of the course, you have to be able to do a complex skill. Okay. So then you use your dog to be able to, to do- demonstrate so his, that. Yeah. So yeah. his skill was to get the toy, put the toy in the basket, and then give me the basket. Wow. He had to do that three times in a row in a highly distracting area or wow. environment. So for you to pass, for us to pass, yeah, <laughs> and it has to be on a video, yeah, and it had to be not cut, so it had to be from one, beginning yeah. to end, or so one shot to yeah. prove that he could do it, right? And um. So it was a really cool experience and I was able to do it. I did it with a broken knee. So I'm hopping around. We can probably post a video up somewhere. You've had quite right? a few injuries, man. <laughs> Live life on the edge, brother. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I was able to do that. It was really cool. He was able to do it in the park while they were bulldozing the playground. Oh, wow. So it was, it was a highly, um, distracting environment and yeah. I was able to do it. So yeah. So after I did the course, I, um, I was fortunate enough. So I really have to give a, um, you know, pay a lot of, Respect to, to Glenn Cook, who was a manager, who is a manager at Pet Resorts Australia, because yeah. he was my teacher. Right. Kind of like your mentor, right? He's my mentor. He's yeah. a good friend. And, you know, he taught me so much about, about the things, but also he believed in me, right? Mm. So he ended up getting his secretary to call me and say, Hey, you know, um, there's a job opening down at Pet Resorts. Do you want to get a job? And I was like, Wow. This How is old awesome. were you at that time? 1920. Wow. So you're still a baby, man. Yeah. It's like all just barely happening. out of school. You That's know? right. Yeah. So maybe more like 20. Okay. And, um, and yeah, and, I'm, and I thought at first an hour and a half drive was a bit far away. And I was, I told him, I'll think about it. And about 10 minutes later, I'm like, I'm taking the I've job. thought about it. That's right. I'm coming. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so if Glenn, if you're listening, you know, thank you very much. Yeah. And I look, I, I should say here as well that I obviously I knew about you from your work with our dog. But after that, I just, um, somehow came across you on the Canine Paradigm podcast right. with yep. Glenn and Pat. That's right, and that's so that's Glenn. That's his podcast, and that's that right. was a, that was a really cool episode as well. So it's all it's all connected. Well, because I was speaking to Glenn just the other day, and I um, you know, I just had to say thank you to him because we all we do need community, and because he allowed me to set, tell my story, and it gave me the opportunity to understand mm. that people want to hear what I have to say. Yeah, and I have that. Inspiration to be able to share my message of, you know, of course, my experiences, but also with the knowledge that I have and the experience with working with dogs. Mm. And one of the focuses of our podcast, we're jumping the gun a little bit, but I need to throw it in there is that how are dogs affecting us and how are we affecting our dogs and seeing it from both ways. Yeah. 100%. So, um, so yeah, because we, so I worked out at pet resorts. I was, um, animal attendant. So I was working with the kennels and I was, Working a little bit with the training there, but I just didn't have enough time. After six months, unfortunately, I just had to 
um, pull the pin. I just couldn't. The travel was just too far. Mm-hmm. Unless I was able to move closer, traveling across it was a Sydney, decent distance, man. Especially in, in the peak half. hour traffic. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It was actually really stressful. I was about at that time got to about twenty one, and I'd come home and had to sleep for an hour. I'm like, that's not me. I'm a very high energy guy. Yeah. It's just it was it was just very tiring. Yeah. So you've got to listen to your body. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's really important. So I went back to the shelter. And um, they still had a job for me, so I just continued doing my thing there. And I thought you've had a lot of luck. I feel you know, yeah. someone's looking out for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but having said that, you obviously have built both. At, let's say at the dogs, dogs and cats home, and then at um, at Dural, it's not just luck. You've built yourself a, a reputation through your um, sure. work ethic and that kind of thing. Well, so they're happy to have you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, having that experience um, doing the course and doing the practical side of things, I was. I knew a lot of it in innately putting the theory to the feeling or the experience. Like even though I wasn't heavily experienced in training, I knew the concepts, just learning the theory to back up the concept. I was, I, I could see naturally that I had that, that drive and, and that, um, that, what can I say? What's the word? The, I can apply it, mm. not just think about it yeah. and not just do it, but I could, I was, you're working with both those worlds and I think maybe that's why I probably stood out in the class or whatever. And, um, because of that, I, when I came back to the shelter, I was applying these training concepts and techniques, you know, I had my pouch with me rewarding good behavior and, you know, teaching some of the volunteers what to do, how to do it, et cetera. And they started to see while I was at the shelter that we were working with so many bad behaviors. And if we didn't fix these bad behaviors, then it's not good for the dog. Mm. And if, the dog was able to be rehomed. We want to make sure that we're doing the best that we can for that dog for their new environment. Mm. So socialization is really important and just, you know, lead handling and teaching them some basics. And, um, and I started to, started to build some momentum. So I decided well, I was going to start my business, um, Nutris Pooches. Yep. And, um, so I just printed out some cards and I just flaunt them out to people that were buying dogs. And-, and so for the people that don't know, your name is Panos, but where does Nooch come from? All right. We'll go back. So, yeah. um, and I should have explained that. Thank That's you. That's all right. So when I worked at Ramwick Grace Course, my, um, I think the boys wanted to have a bit of fun at me. So my full name is Panayoti. Right. And when the paycheck came in one day or my pay slip and they said, Oh yeah, Panucci, you know, Panucci. You just threw it out there <laughs> and everyone had a mad laugh. Yeah. And, you know, so banter had- amongst the boys. That's right. Yeah. 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 And, I wasn't resisting of it. I didn't care, but it kind of, kind of yeah. stuck around. Yeah. From Panucci became Panucci and then Nooch was just the name okay. around it. And even though it was within that environment, one of my friends from outside of work started hanging out with my boys from work. I got one night and they were all calling me Nooch. He started calling me Nooch and then it kind of then overflowed within my immediate friends. And that was just my nickname. I just, I, it didn't bother me. Mm. It was actually, you know, it is what it is. It's interesting. Because when I was younger, they, um, the people at school used to tease me about my name. So instead of calling me Panos, they were calling me Penis and all this. <laughs> it was upsetting <laughs> to me, kids, right? Bro, yeah. Of course, I was yeah. in year four. It, yeah. was, it was, of course, it was upsetting. And I'd come home crying to mum. And mum goes, listen, you need to make fun of your own name. Yeah. And when you start- the more you resist it, exactly. the it's more funny. they know to, to keep pushing. That's right. Yeah. So Penis, Panasonic, whatever it was. Panasonic. And I started to tease my own name and the, the teasing stopped. Yeah. And I think there's a bit of a reflection from that lesson that I learned from mum later in life was that, or like, you know, coming up with a business that, well, he initially, the name was said because it was meant to make fun of me. Right. It wasn't just banter. I think there was a bit of fun making. But also, I kind of flipped that negative into the positive in, in regards to starting the business. I needed to come up with a name. And my friend was like, oh, Nooch walks the pooch. I thought that was awesome. Nooch is poochy. Let's do it. It's mm. catchy. It's me. It's um. It's very personal, but also you know it explains what we're doing. So, 
So and it just kind of it's just stuck, stuck like that, you yeah, know. Yeah. So um, so 2011 we started the business, or well, I started the business, and um, since then. You know, it was very, you know, part-time. I worked a couple of different establishments just trying to, you know, get experience but also get paid too. Yeah, of course. Got to eat. Got to eat, man, 100%. <laughs> and then from there, I ended up um, leaving the shelter. Mm. And um, when I left the shelter and left my other job, I was only room f- enough for, for Nutris Pooches and it was almost meant to be. As soon as I left, the next day, those calls started coming in. Yeah. It was very interesting. So, I think you needed- Because as you said before, you'd been handing out business cards, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And word of mouth as well. Yeah, so people would talk. People talk, man. And you've got to put yourself out there too. You've got yeah. to have that courage. You know, it's just like that whole, you know, half, you know, like what, what's in your cup? Mm. You know, like I think it was Bruce Lee's um, concept in his class. Like he had everyone a cup full of water and all the students. And as he was walking past with a jug, he goes, he would pour water into that cup. And the, as the water started to overfill, he's like, you're not ready. You're not ready. And then one guy seen it. One of the students emptied the cup before he came. He goes, you're ready. Yeah. Now, as that example is that if your cup's full and you're not, you're trying to chase your tail to get things done, there's no opportunity for new things to come in. Yeah. So you emptying the space. cup. Exactly. Mm. You know, um, clear yourself and then have your intention to what you want to do. And mm. as soon as I had my intention, then the energy started to flow through. And yeah, that's when the business became full time around 2012. Yep. And um, since then, there's been no looking back. We're just doing it, you know, six, seven days a week, some weeks, right? Yeah, flat out. Flat out. So, um, so yeah, so basically now my job is that I go to people's houses, one-on-one training sessions. We do a puppy training, obedience training, and behavioral issues. Mm. We were doing dog mining and pet sitting, but we've wound that down because, of course, you know, we've got a baby boy yeah, now. Yeah. And so um, now a father to two fur babies and an actual human baby as well. And a little cat. <laughs> and a cat. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So um, my wife, Tanya, was helping me with the dog mining side of things mm. and the dog walking. But she's on maternity leave now, so we've wound that down. So, and look, my passion's always been about training dogs. So, um, so I'm going out there and teaching people to train their dogs, which is where it's all at. You know, training dogs is one thing, but communicating and translating that information back to the people is, is important. So, um, the more we practice this, the better we get. Yeah. And the more the more people we help. You know, we've seen over a thousand clients now, which is pretty good. A bit of a milestone that we found out last year, and we're just constantly growing. So that's um, impressive, man. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What's your um when you so might be skipping ahead a little bit here, but let's say when you have a client and so you've seen a thousand clients, how is there like a typical length for how often you would see the average client before they maybe they're they're okay, I've, my dog's good now, or mm-hmm. is it an ongoing thing, or what's typical, or is there no typical? Look, I think typically we do four sessions, and with the four sessions, um, depending on what we're doing, puppy classes go for an hour. Um, and dogs that are over six months old, classes go for an hour and a half or even two hours. Yeah. Generally, we do those four sessions, and that is a good place to start. One session is not going to do much. It's all about introducing the training and giving some foundations. Um, unless we're specifically working on just one thing, and then maybe that one session helps somebody, that's awesome. But generally, we do the four sessions or more. Mm. People do follow-ups as we go. Yeah. My job, my primary job is to get rid of my clients in the most polite way possible, right? right? Because if I'm doing a good job, they don't need to keep seeing right. me. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, if I need to see them 12 times, not all the time this is the case, but it means that we're polled and not – either I'm not doing the right job or they're not keeping the consistency yeah. at home. So, um, Yeah, but- that makes complete sense. It's like, um, I guess – it's probably the mark of like a good doctor as well, you That's know. Right. The best, the best outcome is that they don't have to see the doctor. That's right. Yeah, yeah. A good, a good doctor, a good priest. Yeah, you know, you their know health you is good. The dog is good. You That's know, right. you've done your work. Hundred percent. So, yeah. as I said, you know, people training for dogs. Once we teach people what to do and how to do it, and then how to apply it, keeping the consistency. The the hardest thing in the dog training industry is that a lot of us professionals, um, as dog trainers, are really good with the dog. 
we need to work on you know conveying that information back to the to the humans both right. sides of the lead right because so, you're um, you're training the dog but you're also training the owner for sure really because once you like you said once you leave who's who's doing the training exactly you're not there anymore that's right yeah so um so i think that's really important and a lot of us dog trainers need to learn this way of understanding human psychology and how we can convey that information by being patient and compassionate and being firm with what you need to say and sticking to the rules like for example if people aren't doing what they're meant to be doing well then you need to find a way to understand them and understand why they're not doing and goes really deep into it right but um and I feel that I have that tendency to have part, good people skills. Part dog trainer, part psychologist, <laughs> part therapist. <laughs> sometimes, man, sometimes yeah. it gets that way, you yeah. know. And um, and it's cool, you know. We pick and choose how far we go within, mm. you know, helping the people. But um, but it's really important that, of course, I can demonstrate those skills and show that the dog's making that improvement. But of course, you know, yeah, as I said, I want to space my sessions every two or three weeks, and that way, there, if I can do that, they practice their homework. We go and we pick it up from there, and um. And most of the time, we do really, really good. Some people don't follow it through. Some people have the wrong dog for the wrong home, and they just can't manage that sort of mm. high drive. How common is that? Like they think, oh, okay, I want to, I don't know, let's say like like a Kelpie might mm-hmm. be a good example because they're a highly active dog, right? And they mm-hmm. need they need phys- physicality to their to their lives, right? Yeah. And then you might have, I don't know, like a, an old person or, mm-hmm. I don't know, a family that doesn't have a lot of time to, to, to give that dog what it needs. What do you do? It's hard, hard, right? The first thing we do is obviously we want to keep dogs in the home. Mm. If I really feel that they've got the wrong dog for the wrong, I'll always say it and be up front. Tell them, yeah. "Yeah, Look, I think that we've probably got too much dog in this house and you guys don't hurt. So you either need to have good time management and most people can find good time to, Mm. to work with their dogs and to exercise them appropriately. Yeah. But we also need to find out why is the dog doing this, you know, and if they got the dog from a puppy and it was all cute and then they reinforced a lot of bad behaviors and as the dog got older, then those cute bad behaviors became big ugly behaviors um snowballs right it snowballs out of effect i mm. guess it also starts to um show them that they need to delegate the right time and look it's not ideal to be rehoming dogs because you know you got a dog you should try to have that dog for life but if it's not going to work then i think having the courage to be that well this isn't working for us let's find this dog a, a, the right home you know yeah. so how often is it? I wouldn't say it's heaps common, mm. but it can happen. Yeah. Um, you know, and once we start to – so it's not just physical exercise, but we need that mental exercise too, regular training, good management. I think people aren't working enough management in their mm. home as well. So if the dog's destroying your couch and peeing on it, well, then it's it's as simple as, well, then don't leave your dog inside the living room when you're going to go out for work. Right. You just have a good secure backyard or you can create train your dog. There's other options. And once we've got good management and we control every interaction with that dog, I feel that we start to make some good progress and then the dog can complement people's lives rather than complicate it. On the inside-outside thing, you know, now obviously, particularly in Sydney in the last, say, 10 years, we've had a huge uh, apartment boom because, mm. well, real estate prices and population and everything. So, a lot of people are now um, bringing dogs into apartments. Do you work with many people in that yeah. situation? Does yeah, that cause I'm- issues? A lot of people can manage it pretty well. But as I said, you know, if they refuse to work the appropriate management, well, then a lot of destructive behavior can happen and, mm. and toilet training and just pent up energy generally. But yeah. a lot of dogs can, um, a lot of people can manage it properly if they actually want to manage it properly. Yeah. Um, some people just want to find a quick fix. They want the, the guy to come and do some magic and then the dog's fixed, right? Mm. Um, so really being clear about, you know, Re- what their responsibility is. Being realistic. 100%, yeah. you know, and I've had heaps of clients, you know, that 
maybe like maybe 40% of my clients live in apartments. Wow. And, um, you know, and we can come up with some, some real good outcomes for our training. So, um, but of course, you know, when people are choosing the breed, you know, when people come like, we need to, uh, people need to understand that they need to understand the characteristics, research what the dog's about, rather than getting the dog because it's cute and fluffy, right. where they need to try to understand what their lifestyle is and then what the dog really needs and then seeing if that's appropriate match. One thing I I found out recently, so one of my friends, um, good friends, Nick, he was actually on my podcast I did with mom. He's an occupational therapist. Um, but anyway, he, he rescued a greyhound and he was actually living in an apartment at the time. And I never knew, but I since found out that they're actually not bad for apartments. As long as they get their exercise, mm-hmm. they're actually quite happy to just chill because- you know, or you think greyhounds, you think like running dogs, racing and that kind of thing. But as long as you're exercising them, like her name's Pixie, she's fine. She's like, she's huge, but she was happy to just like sleep for most of the day and yep. super chill. But once she goes to the park, man, she's like a bullet, you know? She's on. Yeah. I think that's a lot with, even like with my dogs, like, you know, I've got a big backyard, but even if they're inside the house or in the backyard, they're, they're pretty much very chilled out. Mm. And then when it's time to exercise, when it's time for training, when we can then fulfill that drive and that need, that instinctive need, that's when they start to switch on. I think it's the same with us too. You know, instinctively, we weren't meant to be living in small houses. Yeah. We had big communities, big planes to live with. Um, and if we're out and we're busy and we're fulfilling ourselves, well, then when it's time for downtime, then that makes sense. So, And with greyhounds, for sure, you know, they are very explosive. And they are, you know, they're sight hounds, so they're not running around constantly all day, every day. They're waiting for the prey to be there, and then they go chase yeah. very explosive. And um, But they can be very chilled out. Of course, even especially if they get a little bit older, from a year, year and a half, you can start to see that they're a lot more content. Mm. But, of course, you know, consistency and um, doing the right sort of exercise and training is important. Because if we don't, then we may not see a greyhound running around in circles in the house, but we may see... Things like resource guarding, um, destructive behavior or constant barking and things like that. So yeah. it may not come in terms of because the dog's high energy, we're going to see them fulfilling their high energy by running. Yeah. You may see it coming up in, coming out in other ways as well. I've heard that come up a few times as I, I follow you on Instagram, obviously, and your stories. And you've, um, obviously when you post a, do a post on Instagram, you, you mentioned that quite a lot, um, resource guarding. So what does that exactly mean? Resource guarding is when a dog has a resource in front of them, whether it's food, a toy, whether it's a, a bed or, or the couch. So anything that the dog can Seize try to bears. claim. Yeah. And, um, if they've been successful in the past by showing their teeth and then biting somebody to keep the bone theirs or to keep the food theirs or the toy, um, that's where we start to develop that, that, that enforces aggression. that behavior. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, um, so the best thing to do, of course, there's so many ways to remedy it. And I guess that could be another yeah. episode to get more in depth. But as, in, as a general, a lot of us see a problem and we try to fix the problem rather than searching for the solution. If we're working on the solution, whether it's regular exercise training, you know, understanding how to manage them inside the house and all these other things that we've just mentioned, once we start working on a holistic way of fulfilling their needs, mm. and of course, you may need to work on specific technique for the type of resource guarding they're doing, we can start showing them that that behavior isn't successful and there's other behaviors that they can do that they can still have that resource or achieve something better, whether it's a food or, or a different form of reinforcement. So, um, but it all comes down to habit from puppies. You know, we want to start to develop these good habits so then they don't become problems later down the track. And resource guarding can be very 
um, it can be a very common behavior. Yeah. Um, and we see it a lot, may not just with growling or with biting. I guess, you know, even, um, Chloe used to do it. Yeah. When she was jumped on the bed, she knew that every time she would yeah, show yeah. her teeth and try to bite, we would retreat back. Yep. And then she learned, well, that behavior has been successful in the past. Why not repeat the behavior to achieve what it is? And in that case, it was hanging out with mum or dad or just simply being in a comfortable couch. So we showed her that there was, when we gave a command that we wanted her to get off the bed, then she had to get off. Then, of course, then we would reinforce it. Yeah. And with good management, if we physically, if she didn't want the treat, and if you put your hand on to her, or then she was going to bite you. So we just used the lead and we put a bit of pressure up on that collar. She came off. We then further rewarded her. And now, from speaking with your mum in our last podcast, you can see now we say off. She jumps off. It's awesome. Yeah, she's so good now, man. Like, it's beautiful. I mean, the results speak for themselves. So you know, she's a, she's a really good dog. I think she she was a rescue. Um, we don't really know her full story uh she might have been mistreated or abandoned or something like that but she definitely like had you could tell she had issues um there's a lot of very fear related issues if yeah. i can remember correctly when she's seen other dogs she would try yeah. to bite them yeah and um got to the point where mum couldn't really walk her uh, mm-hmm. we had two dogs at that time um fudge who was another rescue super chill like he was like an australian shepherd mixed with poodle so chill like he wouldn't hurt a fly that dog and she was i guess the opposite like small as well but just really highly strung mm. and he he you know you could walk him off leash like he would he wouldn't even cross the road he was we never trained him he was just really good um, so he would get walked and then that's unfortunate. She, she still needs to be walked, but if it gets too stressful, like we're only human, we can't put ourselves through that every day when she's trying to attack every dog, even like from 50 meters away. If she saw mm. a dog, she would start to like whimper and shake and get weird. And for sure, you know, you got to fix that. Yeah, definitely. And look, it's good that we, it's a more of a common thing now that we do dog training. Mm. You know, 20 years ago it was, it was less. Of a, um, of a need or of a want from a lot of the um, dog owners. Yeah. But you know, in the last decade, it's really become a more of a normal thing to do. You get your dog, you do some training rather than just neglecting the behavior because we know that if we can fulfill our dog's needs and do the right thing in, re- in regards to using appropriate techniques and, un- and understanding what dogs actually need. Once we understand that, it's actually not very hard. Mm. But you got to create the, the, the skill set. You need to create the, the good habituation in regards to how we train them. So, I guess you really got into the industry, say, you know, in the last 10 years, it's come up. And that's like when you started. So, yeah. you've really not so much the ground floor, I guess, but as it started to peak and come up, that's when you really got into it, right? So, you've seen yeah. that evolution over the last decade. I think social media is a big one as well. Yeah. In the last 10 years, you know, more social media. People love dogs. Yep. We want to see dogs live a happy, yep. healthy life. And, um, and if there's people out there, like, you know, people think of health as just being physical health, you know, going to the doctor or going to the vet and vets have been around for a very long time, but now we're starting to understand more about behavior, you know, techniques are developing and we're, sh- we're able to share our information so yeah. much, like, you know, attending seminars and, you know, networking with other dog trainers, podcasts. you know, podcast, <laughs> of course, you know, yeah, like this will be on Instagram, you know, we're going to put it on YouTube. So there's like a million different ways that you can get this information out now. So exactly. And because it's more mainstream, just like the health industry, you know, like people, exos- people have been moving their body f- since we were humans. Yeah. But now we're putting into more of a structured thing, I guess, because, um, and, we, uh, and I'm pretty sure our next episode is going to be about talking about all dogs need a job. So we're yeah. going to get into more detail about that. But, um, but we all need a job. We all need a purpose. And the more that we fulfill those needs, 
we start to see less behavioral issues generally as mm. well. So um, because we love our dogs more and more people are having dogs and we are living closer proximity and rules about dogs becoming a little bit more stronger as well, mm. I guess there's more of a need for us to do the right thing for them. And, you know, we become more compassionate for our dogs as well. You know, we're not just using them for work. Traditionally, we're not just keeping dog in the backyard, chuck them um, some food every day, and that's just how it is just so they can protect the yard. It's mm. more that they enrich our lives and, you know, um, you know, we love dogs because they bring so much joy to our day. We've come home. They're excited to see us, even if it's five minutes or five yeah. hours. Um, you know, they remind us about that child, that inner child within us. So, yeah. you know, be happy, be, yeah. um, you know, have that, that joy in play, the simple man. things. It's a play. play. It's a play. You know, they, they, they they've, uh, this was on another podcast I was listening to and, um, they're talking about it. You know, they discovered this. Decades ago, that there is a in mammals and humans, we're mammals, obviously. There's a part of the brain that's devoted to play, and if you deprive the 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 brain of that, it causes issues, right? And yeah. that's that that playfulness of dogs. I think that really brings that out of humans as well. For I think sure. that's why we love them. That's, that's part right. of it, anyway. For yeah. me, well, and look, and and that's actually bringing me to the next step. So, like, I wanted to, you know, I think the audience wants to know a little bit more about your story. So, you know, give us a bit more about, you know, um. <laughs> You know, why you love dogs, you know, yeah. how, how long have you had dogs um, in your life? And also tell us a little bit about our human condition, because I think the reason why we get to, we gel so well together, mm. and I think this is how the podcast is going to grow really well, is that we're working, we're not just going to be talking the dog training perceptions, mm. I mean, perspectives, we're also going to be walk, talking about, you know, human optimization and yeah. how we can live well. So tell us. So uh, my story, um, I guess, you know, I grew up in, in the Shire, um, pretty pretty normal high school life. Um, I went to uni and I, I, right through high school and uni, I studied Japanese and I uh, did that for quite a few years and I was pretty good at it. I loved it. Uh, I ended up living in Japan during uni for about a year. Wow. Uh, and then I came back, I started working, you know, just sort of in the corporate corporate areas and uh, pretty, pretty standard jobs. And then I went back to Japan for a couple of years. I did a few snow seasons over there. Um, I was doing some some other work over there as well. So, I lived there in total for about three years. Uh, then I came back, was working here again. And throughout that time, we had dogs in the family house. We originally had um, one dog, B, who was a rescue from uh, Monica's Rescue up on the northern beaches. Um, and she was a great dog. She wasn't really like... I don't know what her story was, her background. She didn't she didn't like being handled too much. She hated being picked up. So I she was the first dog I ever had. So I, you know, I was I loved her as a dog, but never really got that close to her, I think, for that reason. She wasn't like a really affectionate dog. Uh and then we got another dog, Fudge, and man, this dog, he was just like you talk about, you know, like for you it's probably Rocky. Um but just like the one in a million dogs, you know, this this guy. He was – so, Fudge was um, the foster brother of B and we met – we we um, adopted B from someone who was fostering dogs, uh, a, a really famous hairdresser in the city, so Anthony Nader. And he at that time, they had Fudge as their own dog. And then a few years later, it got to the point where Anthony was um, coming and going from New York with his work as I'm talking like he's – Seriously famous hairdresser, like celebrities, the whole deal. Um, and it got to the point where he decided it wasn't great for Fudge to to keep having him being separated from him. So, they really nobly, they gave us Fudge and we adopted him. And, man, he was just – it's hard to describe, you know, like 
He was just the most incredible dog. He reminds me, uh, Spades is here, you know, your dog, but he, I think Spades reminds me a lot of Fudge in the sense, a lot of Fudge in the sense that he was, he was an old soul, man. Like you could just tell he'd been here before. He had really human eyes. Um, You know, I'll try and get a photo so I can show the listeners, but he had- he had really big whites in his eyes, which gave him like a really human look. You know how often dogs just, you can only see the brown mm-hmm. or the dark part of their eyes. It was just, I don't know, there's just something about him. And, you know, such a good dog. Unfortunately, he he did get stomach cancer, I think it was in the end at about the age of 12 or 13. So, we had him for like seven years. And man, you know, I there's only like a few times in my adult life where I've really been upset and cried. And, you know, like say my grandpa dying was one. And then actually that was six months later that Fudge died. And that was honestly one of the hardest, hardest times, man. He was, it was a big loss, um, big, big loss. And then 12 months after that, um, I had a massive injury in the gym. So, I was doing uh, back squats just like, I think it had been coming for a while. I started to have some mild sciatic pain in my my left leg and I- you know, being probably young and stupid, I wasn't really paying that much attention to it. And then one day it just blew out and I blew a disc in my back, my oh, wow. L5 disc. And I was laid out for like six weeks. Wow. Um, I ended up having surgery. Um, there was a complication with the first surgery where I got a hematoma in my um, in my lower back. So, it was actually, um, I had to go in and have it done a second time. Wow. And so, all in all, I was off work from like maybe like the middle of June till the middle of September. I I just couldn't really walk or anything like that. And, you know, it wasn't that useful. And at that time, I was, I went back and lived at mum and dad's place because, you know, my girlfriend, Rach, um, she was out all day and I didn't really want to be alone, man, because it was, I was in a pretty bad way, you know, mentally and physically. And Chloe was really looking after me at that time because mum and dad would be out as well. And I think I really came to appreciate how much or how instrumental she was in my recovery yeah, from beautiful. that injury. Um, so, I guess through the process of that and in recovering and gradually building my fitness up again, you know, you start to- When something like that happens, I don't know if it's similar with your stabbing, you start to have like maybe a bit more- um, bit more you start to ask a bit more big questions of yourself and you're thinking a bit more existentially like you know what if that had gone really bad um you know what what kind of things could go really bad in that operation or if my life had taken i could have been paralyzed or or anything like that and i started to think more about that and then you know mum is mum's been a yoga teacher for about the last 10 15 years and i realized like there's so many stories out there where people have been uh, through a lot, you know, and, and she's teaching these private clients at the house in a studio, um, but it's not just about the yoga and the meditation. You know, some of these people, they're coming there um, as survivors or currently dealing with things like multiple sclerosis, breast cancer, um, you know, esophageal cancer, like they've had like multiple stillborn babies or they've struggled with like IVF and- I think everyone has a story and then we I ended up starting a podcast with mum around that. Like I said, our human condition and you came on that. Uh, so, that probably pretty much brings us up to date. But- That's awesome. You know, I just, it, it kind of went around in a big circle, like from my injury and, and then the recovery process. And then I just thought, 
you know, I wanted to share people's stories, not so much my own really, but to, to talk to other people and, and see how they've overcome or transcended big challenges in their lives. You know, in your case, you, you took something like your stabbing, your near death experience. You know, you said you, you on our podcast, you said, you know, on the way to the hospital and you really like, you know, it's life and death, you know, like you're praying, you're thinking, man, I could, I could fucking die here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you turn it into something positive. You know, yep. you become a dog trainer and 10 years later, you're helping all these people. So, you know, that's why I wanted to have you on our podcast originally. Um, and then now here we are here we doing are. one with you as well. You this know, good, I man. think um, I wanted to, in, in in sort of co-producing this podcast with you, I wanted to sort of um, solidify a bit more. I have a huge appreciation and a love for dogs, but want to actually learn more about, the the technical or the the theoretical side of things that's awesome yeah you know and i think together we can really cover so much ground and not have the assumption that what people know and the questions that you're going to be bringing mm. to the conversation is going to be questions where a lot of you know amateur or um, dog trainers or um, other dog owners uh, are, are going to be asking and a lot of these things when we start to discuss and get into a little bit more detail it seems so i wouldn't say obvious mm. but it does have um, when we start to really break it down, mm. it seems like an obvious sort of way to deal with it. But it, because there's so many layers and so many variables, it can feel a little bit overwhelming, just like with anything. Yeah. Um, one thing that I wanted to add because it's has been a big part of part of the story is that um with with Mr. Rocky before he was diagnosed with leukemia, we got to share this photo. It's my probably my one of my most favorite photos. And, yeah. Um. Just before he was diagnosed, Dad was taking a photo of the sunset. We yeah. lived across the road from the water there. Yeah. And um, as Dad was taking that photo, that's where Rocky stood. And we'll yeah. put that right up there so you guys can see it. He stood oh, he stood right in the middle of that ray there. And it's just perfect. I guess there's no even- It's when synchronicity, I, man. When I first seen that, I, I really feel, and you know, it's, it's part of my- part of my spiritual mind of, of, of thinking is that I really feel that there was a reflection there and mm. it was a metaphor. It was a symbol of Rocky was the catalyst to change. It was also that he was an element of me from the other world that had come here and from you know, source, from source. And he's going back to source in that yeah. photo. Anyway, you can see that that symbolism and just seeing it is just after he passed away. My parents had um, printed and put on a canvas and I put it up in my room and, mm. Just really reflecting on it one day, I just uh, that's where the moment started to really sink in to be that. Well, there was a reason why I really loved him because he was he was an element of me. He was a part of mm. me, and um, and and this is where this is where the journey begins, you know. And I think well, now we've got Spades and Nookie, so these are my two dogs, and maybe I can Nookie come Spades. Hey, buddy, you gonna wake up? Good girl, <laughs> good girl. Let's get her up here. So. Hey, it's Nookie. This is Nookie. (laughs) Spades, come up, buddy. Jump up. Come here. Just watch the table. Spades. Oh, stretch it out. Have a stretch. That's it. Show us your dog yoga. Spades up. Hey. So maybe or maybe not the camera can see, but Spades is here with us. So um, Spades is um, the dog that I use. For all my clients get to meet him, so yeah. we do him, use him for socialization. So, what's his breed? He's obviously, a, he's a rescue, right? So, he's a mix. Yeah. So, when I worked at Sydney Dogs and Cats Home, he was 13 weeks old. Yep. Um, at first, we thought he was a Kelpie um, cross German mm-hmm. Shepherd. 
But as you start probably to Probably a bit bigger than a Kelpie? Yeah, a bit bigger than a Kelpie. I think he's probably got a bit of Roddy, maybe a bit of Doberman in him. He's yeah. definitely a, a, a mix. Um, he's a beautiful boy. Where do you and- think he gets the long... The long face from. It could be a bit more of a shepherd sort of right. nose there. Mm. But it's really hard to say, you know. He could have many, many breeds in him, you know. But I've – um so I use him for – well, actually, I was using Ace. So Ace was my um Kelpie lab. I used him a lot for yeah. socialization. So we want to have a good balanced dog to be able to hang around, especially with those dogs that are aggressive and reactive yeah. um, towards other dogs. He's like the anchor, right? That's he right. shows them, hey, yeah. man, like – and we chill, can like chill out. <laughs> we can chase dogs down the street and try to, you know, have a dog to be around. But it's always good to have your dog that's under command and can provide good. Um, like for example, when we were working with Chloe, yeah, she was very um, aggressive towards other dogs. Yeah. So we um so we first used Spades to um to socialize her towards, and then obviously we use Nookie as well as um as part of that socialization. Yeah. So having a good balanced dog is really important so we can give that dog the confidence and to so we can use our dog to be in a down stay, for example, while we walked around. Nookie. She's all right. She's cool. Yeah, she's stepping cool. on some of the Like you said, she's uh how much? Three kilos. Three kilos. She's <laughs> like a bottle of milk. She can't That's do any damage over you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then we've um one one of my clients was rehoming um little little Nookie there. So then we yeah. took her we took her on and um she's been a real good joy in the house. She, she always brings is a lot of love. Adorable. She's awesome. Look at that face. <laughs> Huh? Nikki, say hello. Hey, no. <laughs> She's awesome. So, yeah. yeah so- she, she, like I was saying before, um, she is Maltese Pomeranian, right? Yep. So, she and Chloe is, I guess, Maltese Pomeranian as well. Probably a bit more golden than, than Nuki, but her face reminds me a lot of, of Chloe. They look very similar. When they were next face. to each other, um, Chloe looked like Nuki's big sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> very um- cute. Yeah, they're awesome. So, look, obviously, I love my dogs. I use them for work, but, you know, they, they enrich our lives. They're part yeah, of our man. family. And I guess, you know, why do I love dogs? Far out. That, that list can go on. You know, there's many, many things that dogs have taught us, you know, teach us about patience, compassion, um, to judge something because we're all going to judge. Let's face it. We're all humans and we're all, we're all mammals of the mm. world. And if you're not judging something, then, mm. then something's wrong with you, right? Yeah. Um, but judge it for what it is rather than what you think it is. Now, some dogs will see a dog and think that it is a bad thing and they'll react. So, of course, we all have our part of our conditioning. But being in the moment and seeing something for what it is rather than what we preconceived an idea to be yeah. is really important. Um, You know, they bring so much unconditional love. Like, okay, maybe it's conditioned because they learn to love us. Mm. It's not like our babies where you just love them no matter what. But yeah. um, but they do, They, as we said before, they bring that child play to our life and um but they give us an opportunity to be in nature every day and to get out of the house it's like a free personal trainer yeah you know um learning about dog behavior and fulfilling their needs mentally and physically we have to apply the same sort of concepts in our own life you know we need to fulfill ourselves mentally physically emotionally spiritually yeah you know happy healthy and strong you know in all of those areas and it's a it's a constant grind you know where we focus on so many different elements in our life but we want to try to bring it all together so it can be practical and it can be used and you know why routine's important why structure is important discipline um you know learning that discipline um will set us free yeah. so for example spades can be very um i can trust him for example if i was to go outside and grab the bins and wheel him in and if i kept the gate open i know that he would go outside He's not gonna run out yeah he, there's no way for him to run there was a time once I went to work um, when I lived with my parents and someone had left the courtyard door open. I came home from um, from lunch just real quick to grab something and someone had left that gate open and as soon as I seen the gate, I looked for my dogs. 
Well, actually, I probably sent the dogs first because Spades was laying in the in the driveway in the sun, and Ace had the ball in between his paws, waiting for someone will come past and throw it for him. And um, that's the Kelpie, eh? yeah, yeah. He's just very- waiting for the someone to throw the ball, man. Someone will come and throw it for him. Yeah, me. yeah. Um, but that showed me something that I fulfill their needs. I give them everything they need. Um, I've conditioned to understand what being in the front yard is and, you know, working on, on good structure and routine. And even though the accident of leaving, of someone leaving that gate open, it didn't mean they'll have to run off and run onto the road and disappear. They'll just wait at home because the most important people are going to be coming yeah. back. They and, know um, they've got it too good to run away, man. <laughs> exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah. So it's, um, so, you know, see, we can learn so many lessons from our dogs if we're paying attention and if we are willing to l- learn those lessons, you know, and, even though we're at the top of the food chain, we are no greater or, or, or worse than any other being. We're all sharing this, this earth together. You know, we're all, yeah. we're all related really. Yeah. So if we can learn lessons, whether it's from our dogs or whether it's from our friends, our brothers, you know, whether it's just life itself, we have to always keep open and receptive. And that's why I love having dogs in my life. And I'm so happy that I could share the, my experience with others. And if yeah. it can enrich their life and if I can change one person's day, then hey, that's a pretty good way to live. And, yeah. um, and of course, and I'm learning so much from my clients and people that I get to meet and, yeah. you know, keeping open, you know, not to be like, we want to have, as I said before, have routine. Yeah. But don't be too set in your routine because then you, you miss out on other opportunities that are around you. So have structure in the way that you live your life, fulfill those needs so you're not suffering unnecessarily. Life is suffering and you're going to experience some suffering, but it's how we respond to it is, yeah. is what's really important. Yeah. You know, dark times happen that bad things happen to us, but sometimes that's, necessary for us to then be able to continue moving can often on. be the catalyst for something really positive you know like 100%. in your in your case you know your your incident getting getting stabbed and then in my case i think definitely my injury and the surgeries and like the better part of a year to two years getting back to now being a point where i was as fit as i was two years ago um if that hadn't happened, who knows? Like, I probably wouldn't be doing this. Um, I wouldn't have had that thought process to even start thinking about doing something like that. That's you right. know, and re- look, and the reason I started thinking of podcasts in the first place, because when I was laid out, I started listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. And before that, I was like, man, what the fuck is a podcast? I don't listen. I don't need to, like, I I never really had given them the time of day. Yep. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself with all this time in your hands. You're like, wow, this is really interesting. You know, yep. you can have really interesting conversations, um, share your passion, share your knowledge. Um, and you talk in a way that, or the the discussion becomes, the conversation becomes something that once the mics go on, it's different, you know, it's, Mm. there's more intent and you've set a direction and it's not just like chit chat banter. Yeah, exactly right. You know, and I think, um, further from here, you know, even though we're going to have our topics of discussion and we're going to try to revolve and try to answer some questions that maybe people have for us or things that we have set out for ourselves, yeah. you know, keeping it open because we see that everything's connected. When it comes to behavior and understanding whether it's animal behavior or, or human psychology, once we start to address a certain problem, it's going to open all the doors to all the other things. And if we don't see everything as being one organism or everything's working together, then we miss the point. Mm. One thing's not separate to the other. And um, I think that's really important for, for everyone to know when they have their dog or, um, and we're starting to experience some issues. Like a lot of people, like yesterday, I had a client and the dog was barking consistently when they'll be out of the home. Yeah. And 
Even though what does that usually mean? Like they're bored or they're lonely or- they Sometimes it's them. a reinforced behavior. They bark, they get let inside. Yeah. They bark, they get let inside. So then they learn that when they're alone, they're going to bark, 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 and they're right. going to be let inside, right? For example, it could be that they're barking because they're scared of the noise that they can hear across the road or it's they unknown. see the bird. Yeah. So it could be many different things. Um And as I said, you know, when we address that all dogs need a job, it's going to start to bring that together. But I guess- why does it happen? It's usually a boredom. It's, yeah. a, un, it's unfulfilled behaviors that is going to express themselves in ways that are um, like those undesirable behaviors. Mm. And what happens is if we don't address the dog's life, like for example, this dog wasn't being walked regularly. There were every time one of the client, um, my client yesterday said, she was telling her husband off, saying, well, when your friend comes over and she barks, you tell him to pat her. To stop her from barking. Which is like- Which is you've reinforced the behavior, yeah. right? So, you should ignore it, right? You should ignore it and then wait for a behavior that you like. So, and normally about being calm and relaxed and either patting that, giving food, food and, right. and, and things like that. So, being aware of just this, your timing, so important, but the hardest thing to achieve in, tra- mm. in dog training. Um, some dogs come from a, um, a, a rescue home and we don't know their past. We don't know why they're doing it. Um, so then, and that's why the barking and depends if a dog's suffering from separation distress or separation anxiety. That could also be another reason why it's happening. But we call all these, a lot of these behaviors, we call them words and we have these big labels on them. Mm. But we still, and, and a lot of people are trying to, it's the same with going to the doctors like, Oh, I've, I've got certain symptoms. Well, here, let's treat the symptoms. You got a headache, take the Panadol. Mm. Yeah. You, you'll stop treating your headache. the cause. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So, if you've got the headache, maybe you need to stretch, drink some water, maybe have a bit of a rest. Maybe you've you've done too much today. Maybe you're getting sick. You know, there's many different things that could be happening. So, instead of working on the problem and fixing the problem, let's work towards a solution. And yeah. um, something that that's really important is that once we start teaching dogs what to do, then we don't have to focus on telling them what not to do. And um, of course, there's times where we need to tell them, hey, that behavior is no good and there's a consequence for it. Mm. But if we can be showing them the alternative of what you actually want them to do, then we can actually start achieving good things. And through positive reinforcement and strengthening behavior, we then have more likelihood for them to repeat the behavior in the future. So, mm. um, yeah, it's a, it's very interesting how some people just – for me, it, it one thing that us as dog trainers – can be frustrated by is because we're repeating the story over and over again. We have the common themes with all of our clients is that after three, four or five years of saying the same story, you're like, Oh my God, don't you get it? Um, so, you know, having that patience, being calm under, you know, hearing people when people have something to say, listen to what they're saying, because there's a lot of the, the, the answers are there. It's the way that they see their dog and how they interact with Mm. their dog. So hearing them out, understanding where they're at. And the, the beautiful thing about my job is that, there's not just one sort of person that has a dog. Everyone can have a dog, you know, whether you're male, female, young, old, whether you're a police officer or, or you work, you know, at the grocery store, like dogs can actually bring us together, right, yeah. in so many ways. So the cool thing about my job is I'm not seeing one sort of person. I'm in people's intimate space of all sorts of different different personalities yeah. and psychologists because of that. I get to improve my people skills and get to know people on a different level. And, you know, when you walk into someone's immediate space, you can see what they're about a, a little bit. You get a flow for it. You know, you have a conversation. We talk a little bit of theory. And from there, I can direct my session in the way that they can learn the best rather than having one size fits all and go, this is what you've got to do. Just do it now and I'll see you next week. Mm. And um, because of having that that flexibility and that adaptability, that's a it's a good skill to, to learn in life as well because – um. Hey, we're, we're social creatures. Yeah, <laughs> man. We've got to coexist with each other. Yeah. You know? 
And dogs get us out of the house too, and they help us to be more social as well, right? 100%. So, it's bit, like you said, as an example, like say as an older person, if you've lost your husband or wife, you know your dog might be your only like long long term friend at that age. You might have lost all your friends and your 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 loved ones, you know, not around all the time. So a little dog, a little lap dog, could be like your your. The, the only thing that you can love day to day. You know? Well, my grandma, she's 93 now. Yeah. And she- That's lost. decent, man. That's a decent innings. She's a, she's a real warrior, man. Yeah. She's awesome. And she doesn't look 93, let wow. me tell you. And um, so, we lost my grandfather maybe about four or five years ago now. And um, when I s- stopped working and um, stopped studying building and working with animals, how do you tell your old Cypriot grandparents that you're going to be a dog trainer? Right. Oh, my gosh. That was hilarious. Um and so I told them this is what I'm going to do, and this, and they're like, and my grandfather's face, <laughs> right? My grandma's like, but you're still going to do building. I'm like, yeah, yeah, like you know, we've yeah, got to kind of, yeah. Anyway, so she didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They probably had dogs when they were, you know, from time to time. When it's like uh, something you chain up in the backyard. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like how we see them now. Yeah. Even though they've always had that effect on us, yeah. but it has wasn't a mainstream idea. Yeah. And um, anyway, so my grandfather passed away and probably about a year later when I was working at the shelter, there was a little Pomeranian. Her name was Pippi at the time. But yeah. um, anyway, so I'm like, you are going to my grandma's house. So I took her I, and I go and see my grandma or I'll see my grandparents once a week um, for dinner. So the Wednesday night we rocked up and um, and I brought little Flora with us. She was hanging around the house with ace and spades and um, she that was a normal activity for dogs to be in the house there and she didn't mind. And then when I was leaving, I'm like, oh, I'm leaving this dog here for you. And you just see how you go over the next few days. And she's like, okay. Yeah. Had food and bowl and I had everything that she needed. You knew what was going to happen. I knew what was yeah. happening, right? But I wanted to just test the waters mm. out for her, you know, because she's still in a very sensitive time, yeah, you know, dealing with grief and yeah. stuff. And I obviously didn't want the dog to replace anybody, but to bring what it is that dogs do. And so, obviously, it's been all these years now since she's had Flora mm. and she loves Flora. Like, my gosh, she's obsessed, right? And she's 93. How far can she walk? You know, we all give yeah. her a help, um, yeah. help with, you know, doing the things, you yeah. know, fulfilling her needs and she gets out and about and she's a really – she compliments my grandma's life very, very well. Mm. And it was something that happened maybe it was like last year we were having dinner and she goes, Bunnel, um, Flora is the best present anyone's ever gotten me in my whole life. Yeah. And that's the 93 years of your life. That's a pretty, that's a pretty good compliment. Yeah, and she goes, now I understand what you do. And now that she can see that there's, that I've been consistent with my work and that, it, you know, I haven't gone hungry. And, um, so that's pretty good. And she can see now I understand why you do what you do. And because of that, you know, um, I guess she was, I think she respected it more. She understood it more. And, I guess there was a lesson there for us to learn too. Is like, you know, do what's safe, do the safe thing because you don't know what could happen. And I fully agree with that. Yeah. You, know, you got to have that, that state of mind, but also, you know, you got to be courageous to take risks as well sometimes. Yeah, and yeah. you never know what you can learn. Even when you're 93 years old, you can learn. You've got to have an open mind and like, um, yeah. like, okay, what is it? Today's like the 27th, 28th of July. Um, you came on our podcast at the start of June. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've only known you face to face for like six weeks and, you know, having an open mind, you having open mind to come on our podcast. And then you said to me, Hey, I want to start my own. Um, you know, originally you were like, Hey, can I rent the studio? And I was like, man, you can rent the studio, but wouldn't it be more fun if we did this as a, as a thing together, you know, and, and, and sort of banter back and forth. And so keeping that open mind on both sides, it's just an example, but it is, you know, example. That's where things go, you know. That's how good things happen. Well, look, like when you first said that to me, and I, at first I was like, "Oh, wow, that came left field for me." Yeah. I wasn't sure how to take it, and yeah. I, I'm like, "Look, give me some time to think about it." And yeah. the more I took the time to think about it, I thought, 
that is an awesome thing to do. Let's let's give it a go. And obviously, mm. we're trialing it out. And I don't think it's going to go. And I think we're going to continue doing what we're doing. Yeah. Because it um. Otherwise, it'd be like you by yourself with the microphone, maybe the dogs. That's right. Exactly. You know? It's good to have a uh, have that energy between so. two people for sure. Mm. And obviously, you've got a good way of of, of speaking. You got good um. I like the way that you ask your questions and you think, and we think very similarly. You know, we share a few different ideas amongst each other, you know, throughout the week and you can see how, because we complement each other, mm. I think then something can grow from there and exponentially just continue. And I think that's really important. Keeping that open mind is so hard because when you know what you know, you think that you should just repeat that certain behavior, which of course is true. Mm. But if you're not allowing yourself to be open and to be receptive, well, then how can you give anything back? You know, it's really important. It's true, man. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And so, one thing we did um, in preparing for this podcast was I said, let's, as a bit of an icebreaker for the first episode, just so people can have an idea of what we're into and that sort of thing, we said, uh, let's write a list of our top five or or six, you know, (laughs) thereabouts, um, um, dinner party guests. All right. And mine are all... Um, mine are all alive, which is fine. But if you've got anyone who's not around, I've got anymore, one deceased. That's fine, man. It's like the it's like fantasy fantasy <laughs> league, so that's, that's fine. Will you but go first? All right, I'll go first. Um, how about we go one 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 to one? All, all right, right, good. Okay, so my first one is being that this is a, a dog related, animal related um, podcast, and man, I don't think anyone when I say this name, there's no one who doesn't love this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Sir David Attenborough. Oh gosh, that's awesome! I love <laughs> right that off the one. bat. Because, man, he's just incredible. And particularly, like, at his age now, you know, he's probably pushing his mid to late 80s. And he's still making these amazing documentaries. I think he's given so much um, to the world, man. Like, so much knowledge. A real veteran. Yeah, man. Definitely. Yeah. I love that one. That's good. Well, my first one here is Jordan Peterson. Okay. Come on. Yeah, We're probably going to overlap. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. All right. Yeah, yeah. He's on there. Perfect. (laughs) All right. Um, Why do I love Jordan Peterson? My gosh. um, Well... Listening to a lot of his content, you know, listen to his book, 12 Rules for Life. Um, obviously being on Joe Rogan podcast and, you know, and just the th- concepts and the things that he, he puts out there, I resonate deeply with, you know, understand I'm fascinated with psychology and our behavior. And mm. I mean, and that's then, half of your job, man. Like, 100%. Like we said, you're dealing with, um, dogs, but you're dealing with humans as well. Yep. And so the psychology of our four legged friends, but yeah. also the two legged owners. So, and if we can help ourselves, you know, like understand these things and then mix myth and philosophy mm. and deep scientific concepts, but also the, the abstractness of our, of the stories that play out and the archetypes that continue in, in life. And I think that's, um, yeah, it's fascinating. I I listen to it just because I dig it. And also yeah. when I can meet other people that enjoy it too, then we're all in the common goal for bettering ourselves. Yeah. yeah. He's um he look, he's on my list as well. Uh he I started listening to him when I was sick, when I was injured, and uh you know, a lot of the stuff he talks about, like, you know, chaos and order and uh dealing with dark times and, and that kind of thing. And one of the one of the biggest things that resonated with me was his um, criticism of, I think, modern society's overemphasis on happiness as a, as a, as a goal or mm-hmm. as an obsession of, oh, I've, I, I'll be happy if I had, be happy if I had this or that, or even just assuming that happiness is a goal in itself. And, you know, he says, like, well, um, let's say, like, you know, in my case, my grandma was taken by a brain cancer when I was 18. So, what good is happiness when I've just lost my brain, my, my grandma to brain cancer or my dog's just died or I've just blown my back out? You know, if you chase happiness as a as a goal all the time, it's not going to serve you well. Yeah. All right. Um, whereas meaning, meaning and um, 
is some meaning and personal responsibility is yes. something that I've been trying to work more on over the last couple of years. And I think it's beautiful. Hopefully it's, uh, it's, it's starting well, to- I think something that um, Jordan Peterson said in one of his talks was that, um, in the Buddhist philosophy, um, is that life is suffering. Mm. So if we're going to accept and understand that life is suffering, because suffering will happen 100%. Yeah. And once you can accept that and then know that if you're not in a state of suffering and you're happy and joyful and you're in peace and you're feeling all of these, you know, non-attachment and all of the positive, then that's not just a good thing, but it's a bonus. Mm. And that if you can keep on repeating that and understanding that it's not an expectation for your life, shouldn't think that life exactly, as you said, is about being happy because that's a, it's a very, um, it's not a very realistic sort of goal to have, of course, be happy, but Habit you do the things that cause happiness, make that part of your mission yeah. rather than waiting for the outcome itself. And, you know, just like in dog training, we don't reinforce a confident state of mind. We don't reinforce fear. You reinforce behaviors that may allow the fear to continue or behaviors that can create confidence that happens. So yeah. you can't reinforce the state of mind, but you can encourage it and then you can um, – be a byproduct of your training yeah. and be a byproduct of life as well. 100%, man. Yeah. 100%. All right. So, I'll do my next one. So, and I've got quite a few doctors on here, like whether they're, you know, PhDs or actual medical doctors, but my next one is Dr. Carl. So, have you ever heard of oh, Dr. Yeah, Carl Oh, yeah, Dr. Before? Carl. Yes. So, I don't know. Maybe I have a bit of a, a tendency to lean towards interest in like the sciences and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh but I don't know. He's just a fascinating man, a fascinating man and very, very smart. And I love listening to him on, um, on his science hour on Triple J every week. He's just yeah. like, it's crazy. People call up with the most insane questions and he's just like, yeah, so there's this and then there's that. And, but one thing I really like about him is he is so honest in the sense that if he doesn't know something straight away, he's like, I don't know that. Is anyone out there listening who can call up and and give us some insight on that? So, he never lets his ego get in the way of finding the right answer to a question, you know, which I think um, that's something that came up um, on your podcast with on the canine paradigm. Glenn was sort of saying one thing that he really liked about you was, you know, you're never too proud to say, hey, I'm in a situation where maybe this dog, I, I don't understand the best way to do it. And I'm, I'm coming to you as a mentor. I'm seeking guidance, seeking knowledge um, on the best way to do something. So, putting the result in front of your ego or, you know, your own sense of self-esteem, I guess, and not, and not prioritizing mm. one over the other. Yeah, man. Thanks. I think it's really important. It's a good quality to have. And the best teachers, the best mentors and the best, um, leaders in life are the ones that can resource and to, to, to be open mm. to, um, you know, stick, stick to your lane, but also be open to be able to, to learn as well. You know, if I don't know an answer and then I just go, Hey, just do this, then we're not really being a good teacher, good yeah. educator, you know, and, yeah. and a, a good leader, I guess. So, um, yeah. Awesome. What's Let's- next? I've got Carl Jung. Oh yeah. Have my okay, so Jung yeah, on. yeah, he's uh, not not with us anymore. But he's um, not. Yeah, but his teachings are, are are all out there, and um, I really, really resonate with a lot of his work. It's so deep that I don't even know if I can articulate it into mm. words. But when you hear it, you you feel it. I love the way that he merges the spirituality along with the deep psych psychology, psychology to. Yeah to the way that we live and, and we operate mm. in the world. And, yeah, listening to a lot of his stuff can be pretty overwhelming mm. in regards to being so deep and technical. But, um, like, I listened to his autobiography. It was like the life of Carl Jung and just knowing where he came from and where he went to and 
And, um, you know, like I'm really into dreams. Like yeah. I, 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 when I dream, I really analyze it because I know that it's the subconscious. Do you keep a dream journal? I, I was, I probably should continue to. Yeah. Um, but, um, they say that that's a good way of, because when you, so when you sleep, so the brain has, a, it's like four or five frequencies. Mm-hmm. So there's alpha, beta, theta, gamma, and delta, that's as right. far as I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think it's delta is deep sleep. So when you're in delta, that slow wave sleep, dreaming, that kind of thing. And then I believe when you wake, the, that, that bridge between going to sleep and waking up, it's either alpha or theta, which is the same as like deep meditation. Mm. And so they say that once you come out of that state, that's actually why you can have trouble remembering dreams yep. because your your beta signals come up and you, mm-hmm. you're awake and you you can forget that. So yep. writing it down can be can be. Well, useful. I have a um a lady that I seen. She was one of my um just one of my teachers, I guess, in part of my development from when I was going through all of this um, transition in my life. Her yeah. name's Rosemary Dawson. She's yep. a she's a psychic, but she's also um like a counselor, a psychologist, and I like. And look, I'm very open to the spiritual journey, but I'm don't think I'm very woo woo. Mm. I think I'd like to try to keep it grounded. Yeah. But the way that like she she's like, and she's also brought out a book um, called the the Irish Dream Catcher. Okay. And um, she talks a lot about dreams, and she's all about the dreams. She'll have a dream about something, and she will find the connections. And I think there's, as I said, not to get too out there, but to see that our subconscious is giving us information it's unfiltered whether we're trying to file from the day sometimes you will have a dream of something that you encountered through the day and it was just kind of a memory but some things that are pretty pretty raw kind of unexplainable but that you do learn the qualities for it if you can try to see it and look back on it and meditate on it to be that how is this influencing or affecting my Mm. life and we know we really do have a lot of the answers ourselves but, you know, we're only using that 5% of that, that conscious mind. We're doing all the rest of the work. Like we're breathing and regenerating cells and growing skin and, and doing all this stuff, but we're not aware of it. Mm. But it's happening. And that's the same thing with our psychology. So learning more about, about Carl Jung's work and, you know, and, and find those connections, I, I really find it fascinating. So that's why I put him, yeah, man. put him on the table. Uh, and I, I think um, that's probably another, um, say, another feather in Jordan Peterson's cap is that he, I mean, he's obviously very intelligent. And I think what I like about him in terms of Carl Jung is he's taken a lot of Carl Jung's teachings and probably made them more accessible yeah. through his lectures. So, you can like find all his stuff on. He basically recorded all his um, university subject lectures for like, you know, three or four years. And a lot of that stuff is like, if you tried to read that probably from the source material, it's pretty hard. But yeah. he sort of does it in a way and tells stories around Breaks it. Breaks it down. Yeah, yeah. Which I I really liked. Um, okay, so let's lighten it up a little bit. My next one is Dave Chappelle. Oh, cool. My favorite comedian yeah, of all awesome. time. Wonderful. He's, man, he is, he's just so funny. And but look, there's a million comedians, obviously, and there's comedians that are funny. Um, and you only ever really, I guess, hear of them in, in terms of what they bring on the comedy side of things. What I really like about Dave Chappelle, other than the fact that he's fucking hilarious, is the fact that you know, years ago when he had his TV show, he did, I think it was two seasons, two or three seasons. And then 
he just decided that TV wasn't for him, man. He didn't like the way he was being treated by the studio and they offered him some insane amount of money to do the next season and he was just like, you know what? I'm walking away. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. And Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He And people were kind of saying, oh, Dave Chappelle's lost his mind. He's gone crazy. But he's just like, man, I've had enough. So, yeah. he had the guts to just walk away from something regardless mm-hmm. of, you know, money or fame or any of that kind of stuff. And, you know, look, 10 15 years later, he comes back and he's still as amazing and yeah. famous as and ever. And honouring himself and yeah, being within you. Yeah, I think that's really- Being honest that's awesome. to himself. I have my next one. I've just listened to his book and um, and I listened to some of his podcasts, Jocko Willink. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love his mindset. I love the way that he says it straight up. He's obviously ex-Navy ex, um, SEAL. SEAL. Yeah. Discipline and routine and, you know, and leadership and, you know, and understanding- what you need to do for yourself. And mm. from that that sort of structured military understanding and background. Which of his books did you listen to? Um, oh, my God. Is it the leadership blank. one? Le- yeah. Um, ultimate responsibility or something. It's ultimate ownership. Extreme ownership. Extreme ownership. That's ownership. the one. How yeah. to have a mind And blank. it's about um, leadership and leadership. Taking, taking ownership. That's right. His and whole he- thing is like, if something happens, if I'm the boss, that's my fault. That's right. My 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 subordinate does something wrong. It's my fault. Yeah, I'm his boss. Well, like you, using the stories that happened from when he was serving, mm. and then now applying it into business. Yeah, and obviously being a someone in business, but also life is is a battle mm. in many ways. And you know, and the best way to deal with the external adversary is to be responsible mm. and and be a good leader. Mm. Be a good leader for your dogs and 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 the people around you and for yourself and you know and and having like for example um for example he goes all right if you're going to wake up 7 a.m and you got the alarm set at seven then you better wake up at seven mm. right so he have three alarm clocks one digital one on your phone and one analog so there's no excuse for mm. you not waking up in mm. the morning and using if you hit that snooze and go back to sleep you failed, you failed your first mission of the day yeah. and just like a, a line like that and with like conviction like he means it and yeah. you can see it in his face and his voice I really resonate with that. And sometimes we need a little bit more of that in our life. We've become a little bit too soft and, and comfortable and we need a little bit more. This is how it should be done. Discipline. Have that discipline for yourself. Have that discipline for the people around you and not, and we, people misunderstand discipline. We see discipline as a punishment. You're being in trouble now. Mm. No, discipline is about having structure and rules and sticking to it no matter what. Um, obviously being flexible if you need to. And I think that was another thing that was in extreme ownership is that, you know, things happen. Um, you may need to go down the rank or go up the rank. You need yeah. to be flexible with it. So then that way there you can see it from a different perception perspective, but also giving other people the opportunity to come up and to learn their own lessons and bring it back to yeah. the, to, you know, so there was many different things. And it's only been recently that I've been listening to some of his content. And I think it kind of, just got me to kick me up the butt a little bit more because mm. we're learning a lot of cool out there concepts. But if we're not bringing it to an applicable pra- pra- um, application, well, then what's the point it's of any theory? Of it? Yeah. yeah. Interesting tidbit about Jocko. So he obviously he has his own podcast now. He's been on Rogan a couple of times, I think. Um, he, the first podcast to my knowledge that he ever did. Was I don't think it was Rogan. He was actually on Tim Ferriss's show, mm-hmm. and the title of that episode was something like, you know, the scariest episode I've ever done, or the the scariest man I've ever met. That yep. was Tim Ferriss's title, and I think without him going on that 
show, he never would have probably come into the new media as much as he has now. Yeah, so, definitely. yeah, there's a thanks to Tim Ferriss as well. who's He's not on my list, but he's a very uh, incredible guy as well. Um, and then if you're interested, if anyone's listening, interested to hear more of Jocko Willink or Jordan Peterson, um, there's a DJ, he's a British DJ, DJ Akira, and he, uh, yeah. he has got this new thing called, he calls it Meaning Wave. Mm-hmm. And so what he does is he takes like, he takes like, um, say like Jordan Peterson or Jocko Willink's speech, let's say from uh, a podcast or from a book or whatever, audio book, and he chops it up and then he writes original music, mostly like down tempo, like hip, trip hop kind of low, lo-fi beats. And he layers it over that. And it's, it's actually pretty cool. Like it's not bad to work out to. And the thing with a podcast is maybe you'll only listen to it once, but this, cause it's a song, you can kind of listen to it over and over. So DJ Akira, that's a, that's awesome. something to check out as well. Um, Okay, my next one is Dr. Charlie Teo. Have you heard of him? I haven't. Really famous Australian neurosurgeon. Okay. Um, you, you might have seen him here and there in the media. Mm-hmm. He, so, he is like the maverick of neurosurgeons. So, and he has, unfortunately, he has, and he talks about this a lot. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of politics and infighting and, and what he basically calls bullying within the medical, um, institution. And he gets in a lot of trouble for offering second opinions or offering surgery to people who have often brain cancer where another neurosurgeon said it's inoperable or we're not going to operate. It's too risky, blah, blah, blah. And I think he offers hope to a lot of people who have, who have none. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he gets criticized because he's bruising the egos of, of the other people, but he really doesn't give a shit about that. I think for me, I admire that, but also the fact that I did lose my grandma to a brain cancer about 15 years ago now, um, sort of got me interested in him in the first place, but you know, he's been on a few shows now. He was on, um, there's an episode of um, Who Do You Think You Are on SBS where mm-hmm. he goes and traces back his- So, he's of Malaysian heritage, I believe. And growing up in the 60s, 70s in Australia, he basically said like until he was, I guess, in his probably f- late 30s to 40s, maybe even later than that, he was completely separated from his Asian heritage because at that time in Australia, growing up as like an Asian man, an Asian kid in, in that- part that era of australia was just really hard people were racist and they would treat his parents really poorly in the street and that kind of thing and but now he's he's really connected with his culture so i think just overall he's a really admirable guy i would absolutely give my left leg to get him on my my other podcast that would be cool but maybe it'll happen maybe it won't um he's just an awesome guy Uh, i think he'd be really interesting to chat to uh what's your next one i have um, Michael Ellis. So he's a dog trainer. Oh yeah, in the states. Yeah, it was like, obviously I wanted to. There's many dog trainers I want to put on this list. Is hard to get it to five, and we struggled with six. Is he like um, someone that you would look up to? Yeah, look, I really, I really enjoy um, his teachings. He's very like so informative with the way that he um, puts his workshops and his seminars together, and also like a lot of the things that I watch on YouTube and his mm. content. Mm. Um, he's really, really well known in the dog training um, industry, especially with the balance trainers that that I'm a part of. Um, he does a lot of the what the balance trainers. So balance a balanced dog trainer is someone who uses all quadrants of 
of um, operant conditioning, so which means using positive and negative reinforcement right. and positive and negative punishment and using right. all four quadrants rather than- So some people only use- Positive, two. Positive, positive reinforcement um, right. and maybe negative punishment. There's a topic for another episode. We're going to definitely yeah. get into all of that yeah. and understand a little bit more and break it down. Mm. Um, but, you know, we, but the way that he conveys his information, he's very, he can use very good analogies and, and also the application of his training is really good. So anyone out there listening, you know, I'm um, checking Michael Willis out, you know, because obviously we talk about dogs. Okay. A lot of people on my list aren't about dog training. Even though I'm very passionate about it, I'd, I'd want to try to see the connections with all of the broader, you know, broaden it up and then find the connections and bring it together. Because, yeah. um, even though, you know, I study a lot about dog training technique and philosophy, it's really important that we can see beyond it. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Why do we want the dog to sit down, come and stay? Yeah. Why do we want the dog not to react to other dogs? Like, what's the point of all of that? Yeah. The point of it is so then the dogs can continue to enrich our lives. So then they can be the best that they can be. So we can do the right thing for them. So then they're living a good life. And then that's how it's just going to continue to grow. So that's why, um, if anyone's out there and they think that I should have more dog trainers on there, for example, <laughs> um, it's really important to, to see why we're doing all of this. But yeah, Michael Ellis is awesome. Um, and I'd love to sit down with him and have a conversation. Maybe we'll have him on the podcast one yeah, day. You never know. Oh, so he's uh, American, you said? He's American, cool. yeah. Yeah, man. And he's got the School for Dog Trainers, I think it could be called. Cool. Um, so, um, so yeah, so he's a, he's a really influential guy and um, he does really good work. So Awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I've done, we crossed over on Jordan Peterson. So my last one is David Goggins. Oh, cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, awesome. He's uh, another uh, ex-Navy SEAL. Um, I don't know. He's just amazing. I guess it's it's hard to describe him. If you're listening to this, you know, look him up. Find him on YouTube, on Instagram. He, So, he's uh, African-American. Um, he, When he enlisted to the Navy or he went to the enlistment office, he weighed, I think it was like 300 pounds, something like that. And they said, you've got 90 days to lose- a hundred pounds. Wow. Something like that. And he did it. Wow. He did it, man. He's just incredible. He had a really rough upbringing. Um, I think not great relationship with his dad from memory, you know, just not a great upbringing, but he really turned it around, um, became this incredible um, distance runner. He holds the Guinness world record for the most amount of pull-ups in 24 hours. It's like 4,000 or something ridiculous. Just an incredible example of human resilience and uh and inner strength and he's a funny guy and he doesn't uh mince doesn't mince his words either no man no i, you, I love his work find him on instagram yeah. and he does like he has like a videographer now so when he goes running um you know he'll do like one minute clips and and he's it's like listening to the drill instructor it's very inspirational yeah you know? and he's very direct it's very raw um and as i said before sometimes we need to listen to a little bit of the non-pc side of life because that's a conversation we're having with ourselves. Yeah. We think about how we should say things because, you know, we have to be very sensitive with our words yeah. these days. Um, but if you can hear someone who's raw and just says it up front, it's a, it, it speaks right, right to the core of your being, you know? And yeah. Yeah. I, I respect that because of that. Yeah. That's awesome. awesome. That's our list, man. That's well, good. Actually, I've got one more. Let oh, me one go. more. Okay. Well, I actually, go. got two more. But yeah. anyway. Yeah, go for it. We can't forget about Alan Watts. Now, I know he's, he's not with us either, but what an awesome individual he mm -hmm. was. And, um, I love listening to his stuff. He, there's no time that you can listen to Alan Watts and not have your mind um, flipped upside down. It's very raw. It's very true. It's very um, 
you know, he's a stand-up philosopher. So, you know, he was very famous for, you know, getting out there in front of people and expressing himself with, um, in regards to, you know, he was, I think he was, um, a minister for some time as a, a, as a Christian, but then he then, st- um, studied a lot about Japanese, um, Buddhism. So about Zen Buddhism. Oh, wow. Um, and then from there, like, you know, just listen to his stuff, listen to the, like, I've listened to a lot of his books that, cause he, he was doing a lot of recording. So he was probably doing his own sort yeah. of podcast back in yeah. the day. Right. Um, but yeah, really cool. It keeps that, um, the paradox to life. Everything's very paradoxical. Yeah. Um, don't try to nail it down. The more you try to hold it, the more you lose it. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's really cool because in terms of talking about behavior and understanding of psychology, having the flip side to it all in terms of you're never going to grasp it. And it's always a, yeah. a chase of, um, finding yourself, you know, looking like as we talked about in the beginning, looking for happiness. Yeah. It's a pursuit of the happiness is what the pursuit is rather yeah. than getting it itself. Yeah, man. Um, so I think that was really cool and something to, um, the journey, not the destination. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think so. Awesome, man. Well, that's cool. like we've done like 90 minutes. So I think that's a go. good start. A good, 100%. For the first episode. Um, you, you know, when we were discussing, um, doing this podcast, you sent me like a list of stuff that you want to talk about over, say, 10 or 10 episodes or so. So there's a lot of content to come. Um, I think, Definitely. like you said, each episode will probably have a broad topic, mm-hmm. um, and then build it around that. But obviously there's a lot of just general, uh, banter and trying not to keep it too structured. So I hope Definitely. people enjoy it. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, life with your dog podcast on Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're going to have, yep. So, life with your dog podcast.com. That's right. As well. Yep. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, if you like the show, um, please do hit subscribe, write a review. Ideally, if you're on an iPhone, um, write a review for us on iTunes on Apple podcasts, because that's, I mean, podcasts live and die on Apple. That's just how it is. Yep. Um, I know that, for, for example, with my podcast, um, with mum, 70% of our traffic comes from that one app alone. Yep. So, please do, if you enjoy it, tell your friends about it. If you yeah. don't, um, tell us. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Well, you know, yeah, um, our, our human condition. Our human you know? condition podcast on Instagram as well. Um, Panos has an episode on there, so you can listen to that. Um, there's a few others on there that you guys might be interested in. We just did one with the ex-CEO of Lifeline Australia and we've got a few more coming up. So, yeah, it's awesome. uh, good fun. And, and of, uh, of course, you know, Nutris Pooches on Instagram, yep. Facebook, and YouTube. You can check out our content and, you know, yep. see the actual application of dog training itself. Yeah, and, um, hey, it's been an awesome first episode. Yeah, yeah. How exciting. Uh, all right. Thank you. Cool. Thank you, brother.